Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jenny Kaplan. The midterms are just around the corner. So on top of our regularly scheduled narrative-style episodes, we're bringing you lightly edited interviews with experts, thought leaders, and people standing up to help women get elected. This week, I'm sharing my interview with Representative Raja Krishnamoorthy, a Democrat from Illinois' 8th District. So first, to make it really easy, if you could just say your name and title, that would be great. Yeah, I'm uh, Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy from the 8th District of Illinois. Great. Could you tell me a little bit about your background and your district? Yeah. So my district is basically the suburbs west and northwest of O'Hare International Airport in the Chicago suburbs. It includes basically all the suburbs adjacent to the airport, including the runways, but not the terminal. And we can talk about uh, uh, gerrymandering (laughs) on another occasion. My background is I was born in India, came to the United States when I was three months old, and I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which is where my parents have lived for Gosh, 40 years. Awesome. Well, my mom is all, is from Detroit, so I'm a big Midwest fan. <laughs> oh, okay. Wonderful, wonderful. And your mom is Kathy Manning. I hear she's running for Congress. Is that right? That's exactly right, in North Carolina. Okay. Well, wish her the best for me. I will. On that note of my mom running for Congress, she is joined by a record number of women who are running. And so that was part of the inspiration for me to work on this show, examining the role of women in American politics, and particularly among our elected officials. One thing that I'm just sort of shocked by is that there are so few women in elected office. So I'm wondering, why do you think that is? And then also, how do you think having more women elected might change the House? Yeah, you're right. Women make up only 20%, for instance, of Congress, which is kind of a really low number given <laughs> given what you think and given the incredible energy and leadership that we see, especially at the grassroots level, by women everywhere in this country. And women hold less than a quarter of statewide elected offices, including just six female governors. I think probably one of the reasons why women don't hold more elective offices, they're too busy, you know, making sure our country is actually doing its work and making sure that the most important jobs in life are are taken care of. In some ways, I feel like they are the people where you you come to expect incredible reliance uh, on them for their productivity, the least amount of drama in everyday life at the workplace, and quite frankly, results. And I think that now they need to probably do more in terms of venturing out. They do a lot for their families and communities already, and now they should think about running for office and 
and having a seat at the table. There's an old saying that if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu, and they can't afford to be on the menu, nor can their issues, which are really our issues, American issues, be on the menu either. This election cycle in particular, there are a lot of women who are stepping up and exactly like you say, I'm trying to vie for a seat at the table. So maybe it won't happen this election, but down the line, if there were more women, if it were closer to gender parity or, you know, even somewhat approaching that. How do you think that would change how Congress works? Do you think it would change it at all? I think we'd get more done. I think we'd just get more done. I think we'd be, I think we'd have people who were kind of more interested in results than than drama, who were more interested in bipartisanship than in necessarily taking extreme viewpoints that don't lead to a better way forward. And I think we would probably be a more productive Congress, and, and we would probably end up with better relationships with the world. I think there'd be a lot more cooperation between the public and private sectors as well. I, I, just, I just see any number of good outcomes, including, very important, kind of looking out for our children and looking out for future generations, as well as those who can't speak for themselves, people with special needs, people who are invalid, who are who might be unable to fully participate in the political process. I just think that, you know, women would probably look out for them and, and their needs more than what's happening now. And it seems like the core issue here is more than just been talking about women. It's talking about really trying to have a more diverse group of people in Congress generally, maybe a, a body that looks more like the people it represents as a whole. What do you think about that? Do you see that as changing or important? And how have you felt that diversity has impacted your experience in Congress? Absolutely. It's critical that you have a Congress or a legislature or, you know, uh, any elected body that looks like the constituency it represents. In this case, Congress should look like America. And the more that it looks like America, the more it's representative of the diversity of viewpoints and values and perspectives and opinions that America comprises. And I think that I've even seen it in my own interactions with other members of Congress where, you know, my, I I have an interesting background, one that perhaps isn't shared by uh, some of my colleagues. And I think they learn new things based on my own perspective and, and vice versa. I learn new perspectives talking to them. And that helps to inform each of us as to a better way forward. Because if you're just seeing things from the same point of view all the time and you have others reinforcing that point of view, you're likely to make mistakes. You're likely to not see unintended consequences of policy or you're not likely to see disparate treatment or impacts of your policy on different communities. And that's a bad thing. Definitely. When you were running for office, did you find that it was that there were particular challenges because you have a more unique background than maybe some of the other people who are running? Yeah, absolutely. I think that in my particular case, my name is a is an issue. Um, I think people don't know what to do with it. They don't know where it came from. In, in some cases, they don't know what gender I am if they haven't met me. And so, you know, if you want to run for office, you have to make sure that people actually know who you are. Because if they don't know who you are, they're not going to vote for you when they go into the voting booth where there are no pictures, there's no videos, there's no ability to present yourself other than just your stark name on the page. And so it was a challenge, but 
you know, I, I found ways to connect with people over my name. I, I learned to develop a sense of humor about my name as well. Maybe originally I would have been a little bit more sensitive about that, and over time I just learned to laugh. And I think that, for instance, having a sense of humor about it allows you to connect with people, and then you move beyond the name and your identity to, you know, what you share in common. And that's certainly true here in Illinois and in my races. That's really interesting. It is. It seems like that's kind of the most important thing is getting people to, to remember your name. And on the one hand, I feel like your name is very memorable, but I it <laughs> makes sense that it would be difficult potentially. It, it's funny, like uh, someone was saying when I was running, you don't need to know how to spell it. You don't need to know how to pronounce it. You don't need to know anything more than you can just identify that on the page and you have a good feeling about it. And I think in media, paid media and and advertisements and also just, you know, some hard work on the ground knocking on a lot of doors. You know, I knocked on 3,000 doors as someone running for Congress, which is a little bit unusual. And And then all the ideas that we kept putting out, I think people identified a good set of traits or qualities associated with my name. <laughs> so when they saw it in the voting booth and they said, oh, it's that guy with that name I can't pronounce, Raja, the Raja guy, they're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I think I could vote for him. That's pretty much the, I think, the thought process of a lot of people who voted for me. But it worked, and I ended up winning about 60% of the vote in a district that's not 60% Democratic. And so we won over a lot of Republicans as well, which I'm proud of and, you know, helps to inform even my approach now in politics. Given your success in that way, especially that you won over people from both parties and the fact that you feel, like you said, that it's so important to have diverse voices and more women and more people from different kinds of backgrounds in office, how do you now support those other people or think about pushing forward that kind of Congress that would be more representative? It's, it's a juggling act because on the one hand, you uh, want to get yourself reelected, but on the other hand, you also have to help others. So that's what I'm doing through my, my political activities and so forth. We're constantly uh, trying to help other people in different ways. Even in my official capacity, though, I try to have a diverse office because at the end of the day, you need a diverse set of people in positions of government service because you have to, you know, serve a very diverse electorate. And these people then gain experience. They learn more about government. I mean, I'm talking about my, my own staff as well as interns. And hopefully they parlay that into further experiences later, whether it's an appointed office or running for office. But the point is that you can do a lot of things, you know, as an elected official to promote diversity and people getting involved in uh, public service. Is there anything that I've missed that you want to make sure to say anything important before I let you go? Well, I think that it's so important for your listeners to consider jumping into the game, so to speak, getting involved in the civic life of your country, because the stakes couldn't be higher. I, I don't want to go into all the different issues where a woman's voice matters, or any any person's voice matters, but suffice it to say that a lot of our conventional notions about what we thought was accepted, whether it's the right to choose or you know our notions about immigration or how we get along with each other from different backgrounds have been challenged. They're all challenged right now, and and a lot of people feel uh, fearful or anxious or upset or all of the above. And what I say is rather than just merely 
experience those feelings, channel that into action. Do something about it. Get into the game. Don't be a spectator. Participate. And now we need you and your energy and talent and uh, enthusiasm more than ever. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Women Belong in the House. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends. If you didn't, or if you have suggestions for how we can improve, please let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. Follow us on Instagram at WMN.media or email me at pod at wondermedianetwork.com. We'll be back on Thursday with a regular episode featuring another inspiring candidate. Talk to you then.